You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast. Brought to you by Arma Energy. Presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, W Wheels, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gephardt, but with us on the line, we've got none other than factory technician, Dave Feeney. Dave, how's it going, brother? It's going awesome. Uh, just taking a day off today, uh, doing a bit of uh, catch-up around the house, uh, off the Monster Cup. Such is life of a factory mechanic uh, giving himself a, a Friday day off uh, after the hustle and bustle of uh, dialing in these factory race machines. Um, this past uh, weekend uh, was the Monster Cup and uh, a, a different machine under your uh, your rider, Zach Osborne, riding the 350 in the uh, the Cup class. Um, pretty decent uh, night for uh, for Zach altogether uh, and probably maybe not the results that he was looking for but uh, successful considering uh, he doesn't go up and in, into uh, race with the 450 guys that often and down a little bit of horsepower how was uh, the preparation for that event and uh, at, on, on an overall uh, spectrum uh, how are you guys feeling after the weekend um well, preparation coming into the event was kind of minimal but um, you know it's the first event back, uh, expectations were not high for for that event. Uh, if we could have got out of there with a the top 10, would have been really happy, but uh, we had a little bit of an incident in the, in the first heat that uh, kind of cost him quite a few positions. But uh, on the whole, got out of there without any injuries, and uh, it was a good weekend. 
Absolutely. Now, uh, the, the Monster Cup track, different from your average Supercross, but as far as setup goes, is it, is it basically full Supercross, or like, uh, do, you, do you tone things down a bit as far as uh, the, the aggressive settings? Um, inquiring minds need to know. Uh, no, we, uh, we use Monster Cup basically as, uh, as a test session you know, to, okay. to test your, uh, your current setup and how we can improve on it. To, uh, for us, uh, the, the reasoning behind riding a 350 instead of a 450 is because uh, the setup from the 250 to the 350 is very, very similar. Okay. Uh, just a little extra horsepower uh, that doesn't really uh, affect the chassis setup. What's your take on on the 350? Like you mentioned, it's basically a 250 with a little extra horsepower. Are, are you a fan of of, of that setup? Is, is that uh, having a bike that uh, a little bit more power than a 250, but um, you, you can still ride it like what? You don't have to ride it like a 450 where it's uh, a little bit more of a lazier style, a little bit more pinpoint accuracy as far as your throttle inputs. You can be more aggressive. Um, do you kind of see that that, that bike kind of uh, being a uh, kind of a benchmark of, of what people might be looking for going forward? Um, the 450 is a completely different bike to the 350, uh, okay. like the power delivery and stuff like that. Um, for the average person, uh, me personally, I like a 450 because it's a lazy man's bike. You have to work a 350 a little harder. Uh, yeah. but for, uh, a professional racer uh, that can't, that comes off a 250, a 350 is a perfect fit. So you've worked for uh, both uh, 250 and 350, or 250 and 450 guys. Um, what are the, the the biggest differences as far as uh, your role as as a mechanic uh, working for a 450 or a 250 uh, rider? Well, the, if you're a 450 mechanic, it's quite it is a lot of travel involved. Uh, you know, you're uh, if if your rider doesn't get hurt, you're probably going to about over 30 events through the year and it's it's a it's a tough uh it's a tough schedule to keep because they uh you know, you're going week in and week out and during the supercross series there's only a one week break at easter so mm-hmm. those guys really earn their money so you were pretty uh, happy to hear that uh, Zach had decided uh, not to do the uh, a few 450 rounds. I know that uh, I spoke to him after Anaheim 2 last year, and uh, he had mentioned that uh, he was gonna he might make it out to uh, a couple of 450 rounds. Was that uh, music to your ears when he said he wasn't gonna do those? No, no, I I love going to the race. I think it's great. of course. Um, yeah, and the only reason that Zach didn't do any of the 450 races is because he injured his thumb at A1 and rode the whole, uh, pretty much the whole series uh, with an injured thumb. And then after the West Coast stopped, he needed to take some time off to let it heal properly before he could get going again. So, but yeah, being out on the road as a mechanic, uh, that's where a lot of your friends and, uh, are at because uh, we're all together so much that it's really hard to have uh, 
friends outside the industry. You know, I have some friends outside the industry, but you don't get to see them all that often. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like uh, you guys are nonstop for uh, almost uh, 10 months of the year. And then uh, not too long from now, you'll be uh, uh, eyeballs deep in um, in Supercross testing. So it's, uh, it's, it's nose down, ass up again, uh, getting ready for uh, the next day one coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Supercross testing has already started. Uh, we've been going on Supercross testing for about three weeks now. Yeah. Uh, all the new components are starting to show up. Uh, so everything has to be retested. Uh, we have a new bike for this year. Uh, that's uh, a really exciting thing. Uh, Zach's super stoked for that. So we're just looking forward to a great year coming on. Absolutely. Those bikes were looking unreal at Monster Cup. Um, the, the, the new factory edition, uh, 2016 Husqvarna's, uh, great looking bikes. Um, how did you end up, uh, at Husqvarna? Like, it's, it seems like a, a change for you that, uh, just came around, uh, late last year. Yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, I was a, I was looking for something a little different, uh, a little closer to home. Um, just, you know, a little less, I wouldn't say stressful, but uh, a little more relaxed. Uh, so, and Husqvarna was just starting out and getting in on the ground floor at a manufacturer is a pretty pretty big step. No doubt. So, so it, it, it seems like it's been a really good fit to me, and hopefully... Uh, I can be there for a long time. And we'd love to hear that. Now, let's, uh, I, I, before I go back in time here, I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, Zach Osborne, the athlete. Um, how much did you know about Zach before working with him? Uh, and um, now that you've worked with him, what are some of his strongest points? What are some of the things that he needs to work on to really get the best out of himself? And uh, overall, how does he compare to some of the guys you've worked with in the past? Zach is an awesome guy to work with. Uh, he is very self-motivated. Uh, he doesn't need to be pushed to do anything. Uh, he's a super nice guy. Uh, has a has a wife and uh, a young daughter, and you know he's just motivated to go out, do his job. Uh, he gets his job done and wants to head on to his family. So for a mechanic, uh, go on to the track with him. It's, you, know, you go there, you get it done, and you leave, and I can carry on with the rest of my day. So that is pretty cool. For sure. Like, it, Do you feel like there's a huge difference between guys that have a wife, family, kids, than, uh, say, the younger athletes or uh, maybe a single athlete that uh, doesn't have that wife to come home to or uh, kids to take care of, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, some of the younger guys have a little bit of a different agenda. Uh, you know, they're all hanging out with their friends, and uh, you know, you know, they're sometimes will be out having some late nights and stuff. But you know, they're young guys, and they bounce back really quickly. <laughs> yeah, 
that, that they do. I guess they all do at this point. Yeah. Uh, they're all still pretty young. I think, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken, Zach and I are the, pretty much the exact same age. Uh, although I'm not married. Um, but let's, let's, let's get in the time machine. Let's go back in time to, uh, when motocross had just been introduced to, uh, to a young Dave Feeney. Uh, set the stage for us, paint us a picture of, uh, of, of uh, I believe it would be a different landscape, Australia, of course. Uh, and uh, how are you introduced to the sport we love so much? Um, well, I, it was actually by accident. Uh, I, you know, I grew up on, in Australia, close to the coast, and I asked my parents if I could have a surfboard. And pretty much got shot down straight off the bat. So I was like, oh, okay, this isn't good. <laughs> so I asked for a motorcycle and they said yes. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to run with this. I was about, I think, 11 at the time. And that's kind of where it all got started. You know, it started off really slow for me. Uh, I didn't really start racing until I was about... Uh, 17, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Late bloomer. And got really hit, got hit really hard by the bug at that point in time. So, um, had a lot of great friends in Australia. Had a, uh, lot of cool experiences over there. Uh, I was never a fantastic rider, but had a great time doing it. And, uh, yeah. Then, at the, Right old age of 30, I decided that I wanted to make it a, a career and uh, became a, wanted to become a race mechanic and pack my stuff and move to the U.S. Boom. Like, uh, I, before we hit record on this, you'd mentioned that uh, back in Australia, there was only really one team that you could make money uh, wrenching on bikes. So, uh, yeah, that, that decision was uh, pretty easy for you to have to come to, to the States. Um, who are some of the guys that you looked up to, Australian guys that maybe we know of, maybe we don't know of, that uh, kind of uh, helped you fuel that passion? And, uh, like, to, to choose a, a sport as a, as a profession is, uh, is you, you got to be really passionate about it. So who, who are some of those athletes that to help fuel that for you? Um, well, in Australia at that point in time, there was, uh, Stephen Gall. He was, uh, the Australian champion. Uh, he's still involved with motocross today. I believe he is the, uh, longest running, uh, athlete, that Yamaha is sponsored. I think he's been sponsored by Yamaha for like 25 years. Yeah. And, and I'll say he's pretty much a living legend in the sport. Uh, so, yeah, he was he was my all-time and Australian uh, uh, favorite rider. So, and he's definitely a super nice guy uh, and very... Uh, very outgoing and very approachable. So, and uh, I, you know, since I've been involved in the sport, I've got to uh, be uh, be around him a little bit. Uh, and he's been over here in America. I've got to visit with him and stuff. So it's it's actually pretty cool. You know, we 
when you. That is pretty cool. Uh, I actually kind of would compare uh, um, the the motocross scene in Australia. I'd imagine it's somewhat like uh, the motocross scene here in Canada. Um, really spread out, like uh, we like between our provinces. There's not a whole lot of crossover in terms of uh, who rides with who and 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 whatnot. So um, like it's almost yeah. like. Uh, very, very separate and stuff like that. Like there's, I, there's a ton of tracks out west that I've never been to. There's a ton of tracks out east that I've never been to. But uh, in my general area, they, the, there's a, a small group of people, about 300 or 400 of us on a regular basis that are uh, twisting the throttle. And yeah. um, the, the passion runs super deep. And uh, it, it is a little bit more of a laid-back uh, um, atmosphere, not as competitive or maybe not as uh, aggressive as, say, the, the American scene, but uh, um, still a, a breeding ground for uh, good times, great memories, and uh, like I said, Motocross is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would never trade it for the world. Yeah. It's uh, just uh, being involved in, in the sport from a young age till, till now, it's pretty awesome. <clears throat> so um, how did you end up uh, getting enough knowledge and uh, expertise uh, with a wrench to feel like um, going over to the States would be a successful venture for you. Uh, did you have a few bikes that uh, were, were problem issues that you ended up having to work uh, extensively on that uh, you helped uh, hone your craft? Uh, well, when I uh, was in Australia, um, I was I actually worked as a uh, welder fabricator and the local shop that I used to ride for um, they helped me out quite a bit and I would go into the end of the shop like two or three days a week and just siphon knowledge off of the mechanics that were working in there and the owner uh he was he was really awesome. Like great mechanic and helped me out a bunch and you know, that's kinda of how I picked up my uh like groundwork, and then you know you can't be a shop mechanic and then expect to get out and be a race mechanic because there's only a, a little bit of a crossover. Um, yeah, the nuts and bolts are all the same, but um, it's you know being a race mechanic is just a little different than working in a shop. I would say you know it's things that. Are, Things on the race bikes are quite a bit different to production bikes. Actually, makes uh, we make the race bikes so that they're much easier to work on than the production bike. The, okay. Um, but the race craft is what you need to really learn. So, um, 1993 comes around, and uh, you buy yourself a ticket. I was five years old, um, and uh, and you you head on over to California. Where do you land, and uh, where does the job search uh, take you? Well, I was actually really, really lucky because I had one phone number, and it was a, a friend who I'd met in Australia who was actually from New Zealand, and he had, he had come to the United States a couple of years earlier, and at that point in time, he was uh, James Stop mechanic at uh, Pro Circuit. So, okay. so I landed in the U.S., called him. He put me up at his place for uh, a couple of months while I could get my stuff sorted out. And I started hanging out with all the pro circuit guys 
and uh, I ended up getting a job working on jet skis, of all things. Okay. Uh, and that got like the stand-up jet skis? Yes. Yep. And uh, then uh, one of my uh, one of the guys that I had actually met was Jeff Emmings, mechanic at the time, and he was an Australian guy, and he hooked me up with a privateer here in Southern California, and uh, the rest is history. I was on the road after that. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Like, when you uh, had been in the United States three months, and I got handed a, a map book and a credit card and a set of keys, to a box stand, and they said, I'll see you in Orlando in a couple of days. <laughs> who was the, uh, who was the privateer? And, uh, yeah, like, uh, these are box fan days, and, um, yeah, what was the scenario like? How did that season unfold for you? Uh, it was pretty cool. Like, it was a real, it was a real adventure, I'll tell you that much. Uh, uh, his name was Tony Amaridio. He was actually okay. a Kawasaki test rider at the time. So we had a pretty good supply of parts and and bikes. So that worked out fairly well. And uh, I worked with him for one year, and you know, it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, motocross uh, national motocross tracks at that time were a very well kept secret. You know, they were very difficult to find, and they're not on most map books. Or they went back then. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it was, you know, we found, uh, you know, you'd go to the races and start talking to, to different mechanics and all of a sudden, you know, you were part of a group and you were going from this, this guy's house to this guy's house and we would all stay in the same place and it was definitely a lot of fun but a lot of work too. For sure. Now you're a, you're a young man, about uh, 30, 31 years old, and uh, now you're off, you're literally off to the races, and uh, you've kind of been um, welcomed into this brotherhood of mechanics. Who uh, in the box van days, there'd be guys who are basically convoying themselves across the country to different locations and and, and hard to find locations. Um, who are some of your uh, your roadmates that you would be? Uh, uh, kind of following along a little bit, and uh, I, I guess at some point uh, during during that time that y- you started to also kind of lead the way after uh, some some experience yourself. Yeah, um, I had a, you know, I was hanging out with all the guys from Pro Circuit. That was uh, that was my main group. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you have Chad Watt stories then? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I actually worked with Chad for three years. Uh, He's, he was an amazing guy, uh, yeah. in every sense of the word. So uh, he was, uh, he, yeah, he was really cool, Chad. But uh, that was actually before Chad started at PC. So, um, okay. so that was when you had been working with Ryan Hughes, uh, you know, yeah, back he, like on Privateer. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually one of my good friends was uh, Ali Seymour. To, uh, Kevin Wyndham's mechanic. mechanic. Uh, so I hung out with him a lot, uh, and he had a lot of friends. Like we used to go up to uh, Andrews' house in Ohio. Uh, 
uh, and yeah, obviously Danny Stevenson and uh, go to his house in Nebraska, and it was you know, quite the adventure. I was going to say those are some pretty heavy hitters in uh, in in a quite a a different time of racing, uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, definitely a lot more fun and a lot more laid back uh, in those days. Yeah. Um, as far as box band go- days go, um, any close calls with the the, the machine itself, or uh, like uh, trucks breaking down, or uh, trucks that you had that weren't weren't the greatest? Um, like, I, I'm sure you've got endless stories on stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. But, uh, I remember driving through Texas and the sun was just coming up, and all of a sudden there was cars swerving everywhere, and there was a, uh, a roll of benzene wire, which is probably uh, two feet in diameter, just bouncing down the freeway. Mm. And hit the front of my box van. That wasn't, that wasn't very pleasant. So no. that was, that was, uh, you know, you'd staring into the sun after driving all night and all of a sudden, there's this roll of wire sitting in front of it. It's uh, pretty scary. Uh, but yeah, my uh, my boxman uh, stories. Yeah, I had uh, was going to Colorado for Supercross, and we had a bit of a rough trip up there. We hit a deer, blew a tire out, uh, had a catalytic converter go out, had that fixed. And then the transmission went out as well in less than a thousand miles. So, Good lord, that's uh, yeah, that, that that's a rough patch. I'd imagine at some point the credit card stops working. Well, at that point in time, I was working for Pro Circuit, so I was pretty pumped about that. <laughs> oh, that's not yeah. too bad at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which rider were you working at with Pro Circuit at the time? Uh, I think at that point in time, I was working for Chad Patterson. Okay, swap, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool guy. I actually just seen him uh, at Melville this year. He's uh, doing really well. It's, uh, it's kind of fun because you get to meet or catch up with all your old riders somewhere around the country, usually once or once or twice a year. You know, they'll come and say hi and stuff like that. So I've uh, been really lucky as that goes. So that's pretty cool. For sure. Now, uh, like, who are some of the, uh, like, what you, like, you're at PC for quite some time. Like, uh, um, who are some of the riders that are, are most notable to you that uh, you worked with that, uh, like, uh, you guys developed a pretty good bond? Well, the first guy that I really uh, bonded with was uh, Casey Johnson. Uh, okay. I worked with him at PC, and then I went to Yamaha Trey with him uh, in 99, and... You know, that was, uh, I think I worked for him for five years, which was pretty cool. Uh, won a few races, uh, kind of came close to winning a championship. The injuries always seemed to uh, put an end to stuff like that. So it's, it was always very difficult. So, uh, and uh, I, he left and left Yamaha Troy and went to a different team 
and I worked with Nick Way for for a year at YIT. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, back when Nick was quite young, so that was pretty fun. Well, so uh, like, would he would you have worked for him? Uh, okay, what what year would you have worked for him for? Would that have been like two thousand ninety nine or not ninety nine? Um, uh, Nick Way. Uh, yeah, two thousand one. Okay, two thousand one. So that was his first year on two fifties. Uh no, no, he was still was, he he was uh, last year on one twenty five. Okay, that's right. Okay, so uh, yeah, because he won the he won the Millville National in ninety nine, uh, but uh, so so no wins with him. Um, yeah, working with Casey. Casey was one of those guys who uh, was kind of lightning in a bottle more, more often than not, and uh, I like. It's all ifs and buts, but if if he had not broken, I believe it was his arm uh, at the beginning of the uh, the two thousand. Uh, uh, yeah, if, if if not for the for that uh, broken arm, then uh, there's a good chance that uh, Shea Bentley doesn't have a championship. Yeah, it was actually uh, it was actually ninety nine, and it was uh, Nathan Ramsey. It was R- Ramsey? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Uh, like when you, you had worked for PC for so long, and now you're uh, you're on the blue team. Uh, it was. I mean, everybody's still really good friends. Uh, uh, you you struck up a bond with you know, your your teammates that you worked with for the previous couple of years. Then all of a sudden, they're on yeah, yeah. Uh, on a different team to you, uh, yeah, everybody's everybody's still really good friends and stuff like that. And you know, when somebody else wins and they're your friend, you're just as happy for them as what they are when you win. So it's you know, there's a camaraderie there with you know ninety percent of the guys. So it's you know everybody's uh, gets along and. We have a good time doing what we do. So. That's excellent, and it's it's kind of interesting too, because you've bounced around a little bit with different riders and stuff. How is it to see some of your old riders uh, either struggling or having success uh, after the two of you work together? Like I say a guy like uh, Brock Tickle, a guy that you uh, spent a lot of time with, um, yeah, and like. And um, now you see him uh, on on the uh, Saquon Suzuki team. Um, what's that like to see him out there enjoying success, and uh, at the same time, um, like just like at, at this this last weekend, you guys were uh, lining up against each other. That's great. Brock's a super nice guy. I was lucky enough to win a championship with Brock. You know, the only championship that I've ever won, and so yeah, we have a fairly special relationship because you know we'd won a championship together so that's something that can never be replaced and you know we don't see each other as often as what we used to but you know every time you know we run into each other you know we you know say hi you know talk for a while um you know i was talking to brock uh this past weekend we were just down in the staging area and seeing what was going on, how everything was going with him. So he's really pumped with his with his team. Uh, he's just getting ready for Supercross to start again next year. So it's always, uh, you know, 
you start working with uh, riders and all of a sudden, you know, they part, you know, leave a team or you leave a team to better your career, you know, and that's, you know, that's the way of the way of the world. So it's, you, know, you always keep in touch with most of your guys unless you've had a really bad falling out, which for me hasn't really happened. So I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, a lot of the guys that I've worked with, uh, uh, it's definitely a lot of a lot of fun to catch up with, uh, especially the older guys. So. Hey, this is Jared Stuyvey, and we're going to commercial. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. X-Racing Man. But more than bikes, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand, that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they're simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12, the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. The 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter-X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. 
great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown full rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to BillsPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lininovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. Oh. 
what was it like uh, rolling back the clocks a little bit? What was it like working with Mitch Payton, uh, an iconic uh, guy in, this, in the industry uh, and notoriously intense to work for? Uh, was, some would say a demanding guy to work for, um, but also a guy like that likes to have fun. He likes to laugh and uh, and joke around a little bit. Uh, what was it like working for uh, the the a guy like Mitch Payton, uh, a guy who's uh, it seems he's the he's the tops. Uh, working for Mitch, uh, when I first went to work there in 96, it was very intense. Uh, sometimes it was just over the top because there was so much work to do, work super long hours. Um, it was crazy. Uh, you know, when I look back at it now, I was, you know, I think to myself, well, you know, it, it, he develops a work ethic in people. You know, sometimes it's uh, insane the amount of work that you get to do. But while you're doing all that work, you're learning so much. But, uh, you know, while he's at work, he's your boss, and he'll tell you what to do. But as soon as that work day is done, He's your friend. And, and Bud Light doesn't happen. Yes. And, you know, when you're out having a good time, you know, he likes to have a good time just as much as anybody and uh, probably better than, more than most. So, uh, yeah, I've known Mitch for a long, long time and he's just a great guy. Um, I've worked for him uh, twice. Uh, you know, three years from 96, uh, 97, 98, and then I went back there in 2011 and, uh, worked there until, you know, 2014. Yeah. Uh, and if, you know, you want to learn the business, that's a great place to go work at. For sure, no. It's incredible that your your career almost kind of came full circle a little bit. With uh, you're you're on the uh, uh, star racing with uh, with Brock Tickle. He uh, had an awesome season, uh, and the following year, uh, he ends up on the PC team. And uh, so uh, you put on the green uh, shirt again. Uh, what was that like, kind of coming back? And uh, did uh, did you get your old work stall back at the shop, or uh, how'd that work? Uh, actually, the since I'd left. Uh, they'd actually moved uh, into a bigger building. Okay. So everything was a lot different when I went back there. Uh, there was some familiar faces, but uh, not so many. Uh, you know, it had been a few years, so it was it was quite a, quite a little bit uh, different. But you know, Bones was still there, and Mitch was still there. Uh, the, for, as far as the infrastructure, uh, of the team, you know, those are the two most important guys there. So, um, it was pretty easy to get back in and adapt. So, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a hard school to go through. Uh, they have a, their way of doing things. And if you go to work there, um, they teach you their way of doing stuff, and 
uh, whether it's the right way or the wrong way, it's their way, and everybody does it the same. And it's it's a cool place to work. You know, it's a it's a real team atmosphere. And if the team's not gelling, it's fixed. Uh, and if and if that happens, it's not. Uh, it gets a little rough at times. Uh, yeah. So, it, uh, was there ever uh, like you mentioned that uh, it's kind of uh, Mitch's way or the highway? Like you, you do it his way. Was there ever an abrasive time when there was a, an, a mechanic that came in to work that um, liked to do things his way, and uh, and because of which um, his stay might not have been as pleasurable as yours, and maybe not as long as yours? Uh no, I think most people go there with the fact, uh, knowing that, uh, you, you have to, uh, have to do stuff the way they want it done. And it's, it's not really, um, like if you have a better way of doing something, all you need to do is bring it up and everybody looks at it. And it's somewhat of a democracy there. If somebody goes, oh yeah, you know, I got this, blah, blah, blah. Um, if we do it like this, everybody looks at it and they're like, yeah, I think that's definitely a better way than, guess what? That's the new way of doing it. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a cool place to work because, uh, you're, you're taught a lot of different stuff. Like, there's, uh, you don't have a, a motor builder as such. Yeah, every mechanic builds his own engines, which uh, these days in the four-stroke world uh, doesn't happen that much. Usually, no. team has a dedicated engine builder, and uh, so the, the mechanic building his own engines is uh, pretty much taken out of the picture these days. But at PC build your own engines, and when you roll that bike out under the track, it's your handiwork. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's a great experience. So. Yeah, it's really cool. That's uh, when when that thing like obviously when you won the championship with Brock, like that. There's almost a little bit more into it with you than it would be for any other racer or mechanic who, who's not doing his own engines. Knowing that uh, the bike that's winning is uh, is something that uh, you had a hand in uh, almost tip to tail. Yeah, at PC, the only thing that uh, is done outside the race shop is the suspension, which is uh, which is done in house, obviously. But uh, yeah, Bones takes Bones and his guys take care of that, which is just a short walk across the building. But uh, yeah, that's 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 the only thing that the mechanic doesn't really touch on that bike so- at PC. So how much has uh, your job changed since 1993 or 1994 uh, in a year where uh, you most likely uh, sticking the numbers on yourself, uh, graphic kits were uh, just sort of coming into uh, the fray and stuff like that, like bike prep must have been different, and of course it's two strokes, non-fuel injected, and like uh, you're, you're also on the road doing stuff out of a box van, like how much have things changed and like as far as just race bike prep? 
Um, what, what's, what's more involved now than, than it was, uh, back in the day? Well, um, you know, in the box band days, you were pretty much had to be self-sufficient as far as, uh, having everything that like you had to have every tool, every pot, uh, you had to take care of the maintenance of your box band. You had to take care of, uh, the maintenance of your motorcycle. Had to order your own parts. Uh, you know, you pretty much had. You know, when you went were going to a race, you had to go to the grocery store, buy the food for your rider and for yourself. You know, you were the caterer, um, the mechanic. Uh, you know, everything. Well, these days, you just work on your motorcycle. You, if you're a part of a major team. You have a, a guy that orders all your parts for you. Uh, you have, you know, somebody that takes care of all your transportation, uh, flights, hotels, uh, team manager takes care of getting you anything that you need. You pretty much just have to work on your motorcycle, which is a great thing. But, um, I couldn't, with the evolution of the four-stroke, go back to uh, working out of the box band. It just, it just wouldn't work. It, yeah. It, 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 it could never work. Like the, the maintenance of that engine can't be done in a box band, not properly anyhow. So it's, uh, you know, all our engines are built uh, then they're dynoed and then they're shipped to the race. So it's, uh, you know, the, the evolution's come a long way. Uh, you know, the sport is definitely much better, uh, structured. And, uh, you know, back when it first started, the supercross and motocross seasons used to, in a mingle, yeah. You know, so you would be changing from supercross to motocross back to supercross, yeah. and now there's two separate series. So that in itself makes life what much easier. So. And even just with the invention now of uh, supercross tracks, pretty much anywhere you, you, you'd want them to be, like uh, Southern California has a, uh, more than a handful of tracks and, and uh, different teams have their own tracks and stuff like that. It, it's, it's totally different as far as setting up the bike. You have the opportunity to go to different places and dial things in. And, yeah. and like you said, there's a few things that are now taken out of your hands as far as uh, motor building and, and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit more involved in just uh, like dialing the, the bike in. In on race day and making sure that uh, all the, the the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, race day is usually our easiest day. Uh, you know, all the hard work's done before you get there. Uh, you know, a lot of people you know, show up on race. A lot of fans show up on race day and they look at the mechanics and the team staff and they're like. Man, I'd love to have these guys as jobs, you know, but that's our easiest day of the week. You know, it's yeah. not, uh, race day is easy unless there's some, some problem, but 
the, the way things are these days, the, the problems on race day are usually fairly minimal. So, um, yeah, I, the I, the race day uh, the the race day what you see on race day is a very finished product is what I kind of gather from you guys. Like everyone always says that it, it's uh, it's an extremely finished product. It's basically just uh, get there and uh, all you worried about is racing. Yeah, yeah, the product is the product's done. Like it's uh, you know, see the bike sitting there on the stand. It's brand new. You know, it uh, on our team. We rebuild our bikes on Sundays after the race, which is pretty difficult as far as uh, when you are at a supercross and you're up until you're at the stadium until probably uh, 11:30 or midnight, and then you come back to the hotel and you try and relax a little bit, and then you go. I was going to say your brain's still buzzing at that time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then you got to be up to go to work by seven the next morning. So, and then you've got a full day ahead of you to to rebuild your bike. And if you're lucky enough, you might be able to get a flight out Sunday night to get home. Uh, but most times you have to you have to wait till Monday to fly home. So it's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty strenuous schedule as far as, uh, you know, flying from uh, different time zones. Like, a lot of times you're on one time zone for three days and another time zone for four days out of the week. And then, you know, back and forth. It, it gets a little it gets a little difficult, you know, after you've got uh, up here 15 races into a Supercross series and, you know, pretty much jet lagged the whole time. So it's it's a little it's a, it gets a, a little crazy. Is there ever a time where you, you wake up and you're like, what city am I what city am I in right now? Or what time zone am I in? Because yeah, you're going all the way from uh the, the west coast to like you could be in, in uh California one minute and then uh, or one day and then the next morning you're in uh in New York three hours ahead oh, yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really difficult because that messes with your sleep patterns and and everything and yes yeah when you wake up and you're like where am I because you're in a strange hotel room and you're in a hotel room more than you're in your own bed so it gets uh, it's a little crazy that is crazy. Um... Like, uh, a, a lot of things have changed over, over the years, and, of course, uh, there's, there's mechanics that have come and gone. Um, and, and you've been a guy who's been doing it uh, for quite some time. Like, uh, you you and Tony Berluti, I think, would be, and I, I guess he, he kind of went off, off the scene uh, going into this year, uh, like at the beginning of this year. He's not there. Um, you, you've, you're one of the guys who's, who's done it all and seen it all, uh, do some of the, the younger mechanics kind of come up to you and, and, uh, and ask for some advice? And inversely, do some of the older mechanics that aren't doing it anymore walk up to you and say, what are you still doing? Yes. Uh, some of the younger guys, you know, they'll you know, ask you some questions and want to know why you're still doing it. And, uh, you know, if I didn't like what I did, did so much, I definitely wouldn't do it. You know, but I still have a great time with it, and 
you know, I think it's one of the, I think it's the most rewarding occupation that, uh, that you could ever have, you know, it, and it, and it definitely keeps you young, you know, it's, uh, because you're around young people all the time, there's definitely no getting old, you know, you just go, 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 and you just, uh, you have a great time with it, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure there's going to be one day in the not-too-distant future where I'm going to have to go, well, okay, I'm done with this and going to move on, but I can't see myself moving out of the, the motocross industry because it's just a great thing to be a part of. What uh, what would be your uh, your absolute favorite moments as, as a mechanic? Uh, I know it's got to be race wins that championship sticks out, but uh, uh, what what are those moments that kind of fuels the fire to say like I could never quit this? Um, I think everybody chases a championship, but I think the uh, the best my most favorite moment was. Uh, winning Anaheim one in '99 with Casey Johnson, brand new team. Uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, our team went one two that night with uh, Johnson and Lytle, and mm-hmm. it was you know just a dream come true. It was my first win. It was Casey's first win. Yeah, you know, we yeah. You know, been together for a couple of years, you know, we were like brothers at that time. It was unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, it was probably the best feeling that you could ever have. Um, I'm not sure if it's that season or the following, uh, the year after that, but I remember one particular uh, uh, race from from back in either 1999 or 2000, where uh, I think it's I, I believe it's 99, where uh, Casey Casey Johnson and uh, and Lytle were the only two quadding this one huge jump into a corner. Do you re- like? And they were they were both way out front. Do you do you remember uh, that particular event? Uh, yeah, I think that was. Uh... Yeah, that was Anaheim one. Lytle was doing so. it, and Casey Johnson wasn't. And it was a big jump into a corner, and yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was really big on a one point five. So, yeah, it was it, fast, but it looked like every single time, like it almost looked like it looked odd to see even the guy be able to jump it because it, it didn't look uh, didn't look doable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that was that Anaheim one. I actually uh, watched that on uh, YouTube, I think it was about a year or so ago. Somebody had put it up on there, but I hadn't, uh, for some reason, uh, I tried to watch it not too long ago, and it's been taken down, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, actually, like uh, if you're if you're looking for, uh, I, I can see if I can find another link to it. I know uh, Tony Blazier, uh, his uh, his YouTube channel got uh, shut down. Uh, I guess some of the uh, the videos that he had posted uh, were uh, like they're they're not allowed to be posted because of ESPN or something along those lines. Uh, so yeah. uh, his old his old thing got shut down. I think his new one definitely has that uh, that that uh, that race on there. So I'll see if I can find that uh, that link for you. But yeah. um, 
Um, if, like I said, you've, you've done everything and seen it all in the sport of motocross. Uh, what is one event, uh, that you have not yet, uh, been to or, or, uh, wrenched at that, uh, would kind of be on the bucket list for you, whether it be a, uh, uh, like, I don't know if you've, if you've done it more across the nations or not, but if you, if you haven't, that would be cool or, or something along those lines. Um, one event that I would really love to go do is a motocross to nations event in Europe. Like I've oh, done yeah. a couple in the U.S., but I would love to go to Europe. Uh, they're just insane. So I would love to go to Europe for motocross donations. That's, that's one thing that I would love to do. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know that your uh, your career has uh, an interesting timeline that uh, very, I, I'd say uh, only yourself, Bones, and Mitch would be able to say that they were here for both, uh, or they were at PC for both of these events, was that uh, the arrival of Ricky Carmichael and the arrival of uh, Adam Cincirillo. Um how would you compare the two as they kind of made their pro debuts and moving into the, the to the, the the pro scene? And uh, like, are are there parallels to them? Where do they differ? Um, I'd love to get your take on that. Um, Ricky Carmichael is was one amazing rider. Yeah, he has the desire had the desire to win like no other. Uh, you know, he was. Probably not the most talented rider uh, out there, but his desire, if you could build that into uh, any rider that you worked with, just, he was amazing. You know, I had the chance to work with Ricky at Suzuki, uh, you know, as a part of uh, the team there while he was there, and, mm-hmm. you know, just unbelievable, you know. Adam, you know, he he's the same way, but you know, he's had injury issues. You know, he's uh, uh, you know, the the way that he came into uh, the pro uh, the pro ranks. It was probably a little early. He could have waited, but uh, his first year of Supercross was amazing. Yeah, Adam's a great rider. Um, you know, he just he gets hurt just way too. Yeah, he needs to stay healthy. That's uh, shades yeah. of uh, of Robbie Raynard, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Adam can stay healthy, I believe he's a real. He can be. A, you can be a real winner. So, but, you know, you've got to be there at the end to win a championship. And, you know, people partially remember you from winning races, but, you know, every everybody remembers who wins the championship. So, you know, hopefully Adam can come into uh, Supercross this coming year, stay healthy, and maybe win a championship. You know, it's it's hard when you are off for so long uh, to come back every time. It just becomes very difficult each time, and it just takes wind out of your sails every time you get hurt. You know, it just makes it harder and harder to come back. So, 
Yeah. yeah, not only do you have a little bit less wind in your sails, but uh, this sport stops for nobody. Um, and uh, coming off uh, some significant amount of time, uh, it's not like these guys stop going faster. Like, uh, everyone seems to find that extra edge. Uh, and if you haven't been finding that edge for an extra number of time, um, the edge that you had back in the day might not be enough. Uh, but um, I, I myself am a fan of the kid's work. I think that he, he's got the... Um, nearly endless skills on the bike. Just like, love to see him uh, be healthy and uh, kind of uh, show us everything that's in the box. Because, like I said, very much like a, a Robbie Raynard, uh, a guy who like infinite skill, super super naturally talented. Uh, we never really got to see everything that he could produce uh, because of the injuries and, and coming back too soon and stuff like that. And I guess uh, things are, are better about that now uh, with like uh, people giving themselves more time. But uh, in the case of Adam, it, it seems to, uh, there's never yet, there hasn't yet been enough time for him to, uh, to, to get over stuff. And it is, it's one shoulder, then it's the next shoulder. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a, uh, a healthy uh, Adam Steens for throughout this entire year and uh, uh, maybe him and uh, Zach will be uh, going uh, elbow to elbow uh, going into the last turn. Yeah, you never know. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to see Adam come back and uh, and you know, have a have a uh, injury-free season just to see what he could actually do because you know, he is really fast and uh, you know, I'm good friends with his mechanic uh, worked with Adam a little bit at PC, you know, uh, so he's, he's definitely a supermodel kid, uh, and he just needs a break as far as the injuries go. You'll be, uh, so you'll be able to move forward. I wanted to, to finish off our interview with a few, uh, all time questions for you. Um, best bike you ever worked on like easy easiest bike to ever work on or like just a, a bike that uh, you you really seem to click with you're able to to get the best out of and uh the uh the biggest uh pile that you ever had to work with uh as as uh chad watts said back in 1997 they were making chicken uh salad uh chicken shit uh yeah i think the best bike that i ever worked on that was Probably, you, you could nearly say it was a cheetah bike. It was so good with uh, the 99 YZ125. At, That's what I was uh, thinking Yamaha of. That. Yeah, that, that bike was amazing. Uh, it was leaps and bounds ahead of the competition that year. You know, uh, was unbelievable. So, well, exactly. Uh, the bike hasn't changed a whole lot until now. Like that's that that's the platform that they still run off of today on the the, the Yamaha. Yeah, yeah, and it it was an amazing motorcycle. Uh, you know, the riders rode it. You know, the team that we had that year was incredible. Uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely uh, definitely the bike. Uh, uh, the worst one it'd probably like uh, I think it'd have to be the Cal- one of the Cali 125s like it was it was a really good bike in race trim but man it was a nightmare to, to try and keep together <laughs> 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 yeah. um, and 
back in those days, PC didn't have uh, the parts budget that they do today. So it was uh, definitely a bit of a struggle. Uh, but, yeah, the Cali 125s, yeah. Mitch is a genius to get those things to run the way he did back then because they were just straight up piled out of the crate. And, and yeah, you won a lot of championships on the, on those bikes, especially uh, with, with RC. Like you're talking about a, a bike that was hard to keep together, and you've got a guy like RC uh, abusing the things. i got to imagine that any time you would ever go either uh, made your way out to RC's place or uh, even at the, the, the PC shop, uh, just uh, his practice bikes would come back uh, thrashed and, and oh, just yeah. like a pile of bikes. Yeah, yeah I would send them back to the to the race shop and we would pretty much just throw them in the dumpster. <laughs> so we can't do anything with this. It costs too much money to try and fix it uh, and just get thrown away. So, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's, that's another thing. Over your career, you you must have thrown, like, uh, I'd only, I'd uh, Hate to think of the no, the the dollar amount of parts that uh, you would throw out that uh, the average uh, gearhead would uh, would shine up and, and throw it back on their bike. Yeah, um, it's. I wouldn't say that we get extravagant with uh, with throwing stuff away because it's no good, but uh, the general public has this persona about. When we show up to the races, everything has to look like it's brand new. And I've been asked more times than I'd really like to imagine, do I just have a line of brand new bikes up in the top floor of the semi that I just wheel out week after week? Like, no, there's a lot of work goes into making it look new each week. And, you know, the factories insist that the bikes get new plastic and new graphics every week. Um, then, you know, then you get coming to like safety issues with, so you put a brand new chain on every week. Uh, you know, it's just, people think that it's overkill, but uh, it's what has become the industry standards and the people within the industry, like even the, uh, even the uh, product suppliers will tell you that they need this changed at this interval, please, because it needs to look like brand new uh, so that people don't look, you know, look at their stuff and go, oh, that looks like crap. I'm not going to buy that for my bike. So, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we do that um, people think are, is overkill, but it's definitely necessary to to do it. So it's yeah, oh, and a lot of a lot of stuff that we throw away, people ask if they can have it, and a lot of stuff that we will give away, but then there's stuff that can't be given away because of liability reasons as well. Uh, uh, Giving plastic away to the kids and stuff like that is awesome. There's nothing like 
seen a little kid that has a number plate or something like that, and, and he's stoked that he's going to be a fan for, for a long time to come, I can do something like that. So that's uh, kind of the way I look at things like that. Um, like, do, do you, uh, with, as far as giving things away, do you kind of, uh, set a little bit of a standard as far as, uh, uh, how people go about asking or, or, uh, like, I imagine that along your travels you've ran into some people who are super nice about it, as well as, uh, people who are asking things for, uh, kind of rude about, uh, about asking or, um, like, what, what are some of your stories from that? Yeah, uh, yeah, you'll, you meet all kinds of people in your travels. Uh, if, if somebody is rude about, uh, very rude about asking for stuff, the chances of them getting anything, very slim. But, you know, I have a tendency to give my stuff away to little kids because Mm -hmm. I think the little kids are, they're the future of our sport. And, you can get the little kids to to get on board with it. You know, they're going to take the piece of plastic on. Hopefully mom or dad's going to let them hang it up in their room. And next year when the race comes to town, they're going to be like, ooh, I want to go back there again. And that's, you know, that's the big thing. Like, uh, there's a lot of people in it seems like uh, in certain parts of the country, people are a little more rude than in others. So, um, you know, I wouldn't go into any detail about that, but <laughs> you know, most people know where that where those places are. So. But, yeah, it's uh, the little kids, you know, just seeing the look in their eye when they... Uh, when they get something like that, it's uh, pretty amazing. Now, um, I know you've had a, a number of different riders. Um, like, it seems like a, a better better part of uh, at least a dozen guys. Uh, who were some of the guys that were the easiest to work with? Uh, set the bars, and they're good to go. And who who is the the the, the most particular or finickiest rider? Uh, but yeah, for that one, you have to leave out Nick Way. Actually, when I worked with Nick, um, he was really easy to work with for me. Okay, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have too much of a problem with Nick. I've always, you know, I hear the Nick Way stories, and it's like, okay, well, the first time that I worked with Nick in 2001, he was very easy going, and. Uh, not that hard to work with. Uh, he was a little more difficult in 2004 when I had to work with him at the end of the summer because uh, his mechanic had, uh, had left to take up a different position somewhere. And so, uh, but yeah, he was he was a little more difficult in 2004. And I think he's just got a little little harder as it goes on after that. But, uh, Plus, he was under the pressure at the end of that year to keep that ride because it was between yeah. uh, him and um, uh, Sebastian to stay stay with the team. Yeah, um, I think uh, the easiest guy that I ever worked with was uh, was Casey Johnson. He was just 
so easy. All we want to do is get right into the bike. Yeah, just just keep it running for me, and I'll be good. But, uh, he was he was uh, probably the easiest, and I think probably the I don't think he was the pickiest guy that I've ever had. I haven't really had too many that have been. I, I don't think I had one that's really crazy about it. Zach sometimes can be a little picky, but most of the time he has a, a good reason for what he wants to do, and I'm good with that. So, um, yeah, as far as picky guys, not so many. So, pretty pretty happy about that. Well, right on, Dave. Um, I uh, I didn't really put a, a time limit on this thing because I knew there'd be some great stories that came along, and uh, I, I feel like there's probably uh, we've only scratched the surface. Uh, I really appreciate you giving the Big MX Radio podcast uh, some time today uh, to to chat moto and stuff like that, and kind of go over your career a little bit. Uh, I'd love to invite you on again sometime so we can uh, some rehash some old stories. Um, sure. But uh, I, I'm gonna let you enjoy the rest of your Friday, and uh, I'm going to get to editing this and, and post it up for those to enjoy. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on. Awesome. So uh, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll leave it right there. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.